This episode of The Real Podcast is sponsored by Blackjack Contracting. Blackjack Contracting is a team of skilled trades that helps investors across the greater Golden Horseshoe with medium to large size renovation projects. Not only are they fast and friendly, but their specialty is in creating legal basement suites that helps you, the investors, create higher rental premiums. They are an integral part of my dream team, and I highly encourage you to check them out. Hello and welcome. You're in the Real Estate Investors Lounge. So grab a seat and get comfortable as we dive into the strategies, the mindsets, and the motivations of some of the brightest entrepreneurs in the real estate investment world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. Here's your host, Brian Fitzgerald. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge podcast. My name is Brian Fitzgerald. And I'm sitting down with Mandy Branham. This is going to be a fun episode. As much as I like our next guest and as much as I like provide great content to you, the listeners, I'm going to say this episode is 90% for selfish reasons. I'm kind of kidding and I'm kind of not. Mandy Branham is the JV queen in the wonderful world of real estate and is the guest today. Mandy has about 10 years of market experience and is known to be able to conceive and create opportunities out of the ordinary, thus the name, the JV queen. Is that fairly accurate, Mandy? It's crazy accurate. Oh, really? Oh, good. I did a good job. Yeah, I reflect the other day on the last decade, and I thought, I don't think I'm even recognizable where I was 10 years ago. And so I think that's a pretty cool spot for people to start off with, just a moment of looking back over the last 10 years, kind of you know having gratitude and completion for the last decade and going, holy crap, look out, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. And congratulations to you on the, on being able to reflect back and be like, wow, that is a massive amount of change. So that's Thank very you. cool. Let's start off easy. Tell me a little bit about you and how you got your start in uh, real estate. So my husband uh, worked in the automotive industry and we were a, a very well-off family. I would say we created ourselves to be what, what I would have said, just a hardworking, save every dollar Larry would work overtime, and I had two jobs when we first got together. We scrimped and saved and ate leaners and beans to be able to buy our first house. And we sold it and moved up. And every couple every couple of years, we would have, you know, a newer house and be able to use the money from the previous one to go into the next one. And then the automotive crash kind of came. Larry went from overtime to no overtime. And we were like, oh, we can still do this. And then they went from 40-hour work week to shared work week. And we were like, oh this is uncomfortable. And we kind of realized that all the work that we had been doing, that we thought we were in control of, of our financial future, we realized that RSP accounts were going down. We had, uh, you know, we were into uh, some leverage loans and those were going down and our paychecks were going down. And we were like, and we don't have any control. And so that was the start point, 2007, that we put a second mortgage on our primary house and we bought a rental property and into it we went. Kind of fast forward a few years, 2014, and there was a lot of uncomfortableness. Like I didn't like my job very much. We wanted more and we refinanced this original duplex and it put a check in our hands for about $38,000. So that was, you know, seven years later and I looked at it and I was like, this is awesome but it doesn't change our life. Like this isn't enough to supplement the fact that I don't have a pension and Larry doesn't have a pension and two kids education and two kids weddings and stuff. And so I was like, one is not enough. We need more. 
And so we joined a coaching program and, you know, within the first, you know, joining of this, we did another deal that made us a big return, did another deal and another deal. And we just started to put all of these tools that we were learning and these skills that we'd been acquiring and we started to put them to action. And I'm a fail forward kind of person that's like, huh, don't really know exactly what this means, but I'll figure it out along the way. And, and so flash forward you know, from that 2014 point. So we've been within our coaching group for five years now, and we've transacted on 75 properties Wow! in those five years. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Now, you mentioned uh, that you're a fail-forward type person. Is is your husband, Larry, the same? Are you guys on the same no. page when it comes? I was going to say, that's normally, <laughs> it's a very good point of view for you to have, but I find it's rare that, you know, both partners in the relationship feel the same way. And actually, you know what, that's the beauty of, of a balanced relationship. And I don't encourage, you know, everybody to, you know, both be totally, you know, go for the risk. And, you know, this, this balance is actually quite perfect. And almost in, in many of the relationships that I see within the investing world, there's always somebody who is, you know, even Irwin and Cherry, right? You know, they're just, a, they're, they talk about one being a grass pedal, one being a brake. And so as soon as Erwin said that to me, I was like, yep, that's us. <laughs> so I'm the gas pedal, Larry's my little brake. And, and it's a perfect balance. But there are times that I know the brake is there, but I'm going to push forward anyways. And so, you know, there'll be properties that, I mean, it was years, two years before he even stepped foot in a property that we bought. You know, the very first one that we bought off of the gate from the coaching program, he walked through like a deer in headlights and was just like, you know, stunned like a mummy. And he was just like, just tell me what you want me to do first. So he'd already signed all the paperwork. We'd gone to the lawyers. He'd never set foot in it. But he trusted me enough to be able to say, like, I love you, honey. And I know that I'm working at my job to be able to qualify for these mortgages. And I know that, you know, my money is your money, your money is mine. That's where our relationship was. And so we would just go into these assets together, me with my strong suits and Larry with his strong suits. Very cool. Nice balance. That's really good. Yeah. So let's go to the joint venture because obviously that's your bread and butter. Might want to come back to that coaching you were just talking about. But tell me what a joint venture is when it comes to real estate. Dumb it down for me. Yeah. So, you know, interesting, we can say joint ventures within real estate, but I, you know, I just want the whole idea of a joint venture within any kind of business. And so it's when two people have unique skills that they come together to create something that neither party could have without the other party. And so in the real estate world, there's, you know, either people who have lots of money, and I say that so generally because there are a lot. Of, I want your listeners to truly understand and get out, feel my understanding when I share this. There is more money out there than there are people that know what to do with it. So you've got these people who are like, oh, I just got a $250,000 inheritance, and I wish I knew more about real estate, but I, I don't even have the time to try and figure out what I should do with it. Then you've got, you know, the Mandy's on the other side who are like eat, sleep and breathe in real estate. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I just found a phenomenal deal. It's an off market exclusive. I'm down there digging. I'm doing the market research. I'm out at these meetings, finding the latest and greatest you know, strategies, tips, 
ways to be able to make my renovations more efficient and, and attract the best kind of clientele for the type of units that we're creating. And then you're like, but I don't have enough money or qualifications for mortgage to continue to keep, you know, supporting all of these amazing assets that I've got. So I share with people to envision a round table in the center of the room. And so I come to the table with this phenomenal deal, this vision of what could be with this asset, you know, whether that be a a renovation and a refinance, whether that be the vision of a long-term hold, whether that be, you know, understanding what the cash flow is going to be and how it's going to, you know, help the other person at the table's day-to-day lifestyle with this cash flow. And then on the other side of the table comes the person that had an inheritance or the person that said, you know, well, my parents taught me to always pay off my mortgage. So I just got awakened to the fact that, you know, maybe having no mortgage isn't the best use of my money. And so I put a key lock on my house and I now have available another $600,000 because they're sitting on a million dollar home with no mortgage because they were brilliant when they bought their home, etc. Right. And so, but they're like, but we don't know what to do with it. And we're scared and, and we don't have the, the knowledge and the research that you have. And so you can see that these two people are at the table. And I would say that they bring equal attributes to the table. Somebody has the money, somebody has the knowledge of what to be able to do with it. And together that creates this perfect little synergy of a joint venture. And out we go. Very cool. Boom. So... <laughs> You crushed my next question of why do people JV, but you explained it perfectly in that. Basically what you said, there's two people or potentially more that have certain set skill sets that, you know, they complement each other and and obviously can move forward. And obviously you're providing a service, they're providing the capital and together make major happiness. Yeah. The only thing I'm going to, uh, I'm going to touch on there. And I had two beautiful young brothers approach me at the rain meeting and they had their first joint venture partner come to them. And, and you could see the excitement. And I coddled it a little bit and, and shared with them. But what sometimes happens is you'll have these contractors that say that when they show up to the table, they show up with their contracting skills and that they would, quote, quote, be the working partner. And so they have this idea yeah. in their head that they're going to, quote, quote, work for free. Well, So to me, that's not a balanced equation because when I come to the table and I say I have the ability to renovate a property, oh, sweetheart, it ain't me with a hammer in my hand. You know, it's me hiring a contractor to be able to do what I need done to be able to complete and bring the property up to the vision that I have. It's not me physically. And so some people will say, well, because I'm a contractor, I will work for free. But that's not my model of a joint venture. I don't want one side to benefit and one side to be like, oh, sorry, wifey and family, you know, like I'm going to do this and I'm making 50% of the profit, but for the next three months, I'm actually working for free. Well, that's not the model. The model is that if the joint venture working expert, and that's kind of what I qualify myself as. So I have a financial partner and I have the joint venture working expert. And that working expert could have a contracting company. But it's external of them. And I make sure that they understand that if they're the working partner, they would hire ABC Contracting to be able to do the work on the property with the joint venture so that they will understand that they, as the working expert, get half of the profits, but ABC Contracting has gotten paid so that their day-to-day is still covered as well as profit is split. 
because other, I mean, I have people all the time go, Mandy, I'd like to do a JV, a 50-50 JV on a, on a flip. And I was like, oh, I don't joint venture on flip. I'll borrow your money at a fixed interest rate, but I'm not coming into this to be able to give you half of the profit. Right. For me to be able to do a ton of work and you to sit back and just get half the money on a flip. Now we want to talk about a flip to yourself or a burr or a, you know, three to five year long-term buy and hold. No, I'm happy to be able to do that and split profit with you, but not on flip. I'm saying that so clearly because I really want people <laughs> to understand that if you're doing flip, a joint venture partner is technically just a money partner. And I want you to do your calculations based on how much profit am I paying this person for a flip and how much profit am I making? And then on the other side of the sheet, you're doing, what if I just borrowed this private money? How much money am I paying out to a private lender and how much profit am I making? I think you will find that you will pay less to a private money lender, more profit for yourself than if you brought in a partner and gave half of the profit away, like a significant amount that would make you go, huh, I see why Mandy is saying I should just use hard money for flip and not JV partners. For sure. No, it makes absolute sense. And I think actually you helped me out with the title of the podcast there, Mandy Branham, she doesn't do flips. <laughs> the joint Perfect. venture queen for long-term buy and hold. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. 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 No short-term shit. Yeah. I'm not a day trader with real estate. I mean, honestly, Brian, there are deals that I would say that, you know, three years down the road, we're refinancing to get my partners a hundred percent of their capital back. I'm talking down payment, closing costs, renovation costs, and we're each getting about 40000 over and above their original capital. So I'm just telling you, like, wow, right? Yeah, like, that's gosh, do I look like a genius? I just made forty grand, and I, like, with none of my own money. So that's like a 40,000% ROI. Here's the genius. is my partner that's in <laughs> British Columbia and has never stepped foot in the property, okay? So when you can actually see that by these people giving me the most, the money and qualifying for mortgage and having their hand like having a direct connection to an asset so they were secure that's how secure they were they invested doing that and here's me on the other hand that went out and found the property and i remember negotiating this property it was a private deal and the seller didn't understand and i probably spent more time on paperwork and there was no docusign at that time so we were scanning documents back and forth signatures all this kind of stuff right and then the renovations and a couple tenants along the way. I guess I'm trying to make this sound painful, okay? So they just said that I made 40000 <laughs> in three years. But I want you to understand that there are some pain points along the way. But my partners on the other side never traveled to the prop, never stepped foot in the property. And so, you know, who has, who has the least amount of pain to be able to make this kind of reward? So if I look like a genius... My partners are the geniuses that invested in a genius deal. Right. Yeah. Win-win, right? And you've gone through the pain, you know, in the beginning where you worked out all the kinks. Now you've got your systems in place. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. You've done the hard work and all the heavy lifting up to this point, And now you've just got your systems in place that make it seem maybe a little bit easier for you. But you're still doing the legwork and you're still making the money. Yeah, there's a story for you. And it's a, a gentleman that sees Picasso and says, oh, Picasso, will you paint me a picture? And Picasso was like, yeah, sure. So he pulls out his journal and a pen, and it was just a blue pen. And Picasso does this beautiful 
you know, picture in his journal and he says, you know, and he hands it back to him. He's like, oh my gosh, Picasso, that's gorgeous. And Picasso says, that'll be $20,000. And the guy goes, this took you 10 minutes to do. And Picasso said, ah, but it took me 20 years to be able to do that in 10 minutes. And so, so, you know, as a working partner, if we now say, uh, your listeners are saying, I'd like to be like Mandy, okay, then what I'm sharing with people is you have to believe that you acknowledge your Picasso work to be able to say, I'm showing up with a deal today, and it's a phenomenal deal, and I've negotiated this deal, and I found this deal, but it's taken me years or months or whatever it is to be able to have this deal under contract, be the one that this that this real estate agent called, be the one that the seller called, whatever the situation is. And so you have to acknowledge the growth that you've had to be able to own at that table to show up and say, I'm telling you, I'm worth half of the profit because I'm bringing equal value to what it is that you are bringing to the table. 100% makes sense to me. I agree with you. It's a mental game. Yeah, for sure. And, And you've gone through all the mental stress of it. And they're going to basically just sit back and you're going to make dollars and cents for them. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a nice relationship, actually. Yeah. But there's a lot of communication that still goes on. So, you know, you think, okay, so, you know, oh, I have this beautiful asset, but why can't I connect it to a joint venture partner? Okay. So there's obviously more aspects than just the actual asset. There are aspects like, how are you communicating this vision of yours to your partner? How are you communicating that you're going to be able to communicate with them during the duration of their property, during the duration of their renovation. I have a lovely joint venture partner. We were just on the phone last week for a hum, an hour and a half. We're mid-renovation on two properties. Plus, he has a third property that he bought with his brother. So what I share with people is to acknowledge sometimes where the other person is coming from. So I'm acknowledging in my partner that he's damn well stressed out right now. He has probably four to $500,000 in down payments, renovations and carrying costs right now it's probably the most amount of money that he's had out and guess what in the two properties that we have we just got tenants in the upper units so we are starting to cover some of our carrying costs but like there's no income yet we're not refinanced we don't have that big chunk of money back and so he's probably psychologically in a spot that he's never found himself and he's going why did i do this and then is maybe his break right? His wife is like saying, hey, are you sure? Are you sure we made the right decision? I thought this was supposed to be done by now. And so what I did is I met him where he was. I attempted to be able to not say you shouldn't be calling me doing all these things. Although after a while, you can only kind of try and calm somebody down everyone, you know, so much. And so you're like, whoa, we're on time. We're on schedule. We're on budget. I just need you just to take a little bit of a break. And we'll talk every two weeks to let you know where the projects are at. But so the point being a working joint venture expert needs to be able to communicate the vision, communicate the process, be able to answer all of those questions that a joint venture financial partner is going to ask, like, how do I split the capital gains? Who's going to do the bookkeeping? Where does the income go? When do I get my money back? All those kind of questions. So as you build yourself, it's not just real estate education. And this is, I usually say to people, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Job in this case being real estate, yourself being yourself. You know, are you going to be able to setting some clear goals and 
and having a vision for where you want to go so that during those hard times, those stressful times, you have this vision larger than yourself that just keeps you pushing forward. Okay. Which actually you, you lead me to my next question and you kind of touched on it a little bit. How does a partner get paid or does that depend on the structure of the JV? It can depend on the structure. Yes. Are we talking financial partner? Yes. So within my structure and, you know, my structure came from, you know, various mentors of mine that this is how they continue to structure it. And I like it because it just feels good. So I say to my partners, I don't get paid until you get all of your capital back, 100% of your capital back, except cash flow. We do split cash flow because, you know, everybody needs to put food on their table. And so month to month, we will split cash flow. Maybe that's every quarter we'll take a chunk of cash flow out of the bank account. Maybe it's only every six months. Many of my partners, we're lucky if we take cash flow once a year. But upon a refinance or upon a sale of the property, my partners get 100% of their capital back before any equity is split. So let's just scenario that out for the listeners. So we bought a house for $200,000. My partners have a $40,000 down payment in the property. Plus we'll say closing costs and the legals and whatnot. We'll say that they have $50,000 invested. Okay. Three years go by and super nicely, I tell them that the house is now worth $400,000 as a legal duplex. We now have a value of four hundred, dollars and we refinance it 80% loan to value. So the new mortgage is $320,000. The original mortgage was $160,000. So $160,000 to $260,000 to $320,000 is $160,000. Okay. I hope we're following. Yep. I encourage everybody to get their paper out to be like, yeah. where did Mandy get these numbers? Listen to this again. Go back and follow. So new value of four hundred, which it gives you an eighty percent loan to value of three twenty. You technically think in your mind when you go to the lawyer's office, they're going to obviously not have two mortgages on the property at once, so they have to pay off the original mortgage, which was one hundred and sixty thousand. So the difference between three twenty and one sixty is 160 okay so that's the check that your partners are going to have in their hands maybe a little bit less for some legal fees and stuff but uh you know a penalty to be able to break the original mortgage things like that but we're just taking a good assumption here so they have a check in their hand for 160 but they had originally had fifty thousand dollars invested in the asset so the first 50 out of the 160 is there Whoop, boom done now we're down to 110000 That is the profit. That is the equity that we would split. So they would get 55000 I would get 55000 And we're continuing to own that asset with 20% equity in there. So technically, there's another $80,000, which would be 40 more for my partner and 40 more for me. But it's going to stay tied up in the asset until we choose to sell it. A refinance, that's how a partner would get paid. Now, that was beautiful. I say that's in three years, but think of those single family conversions that you're buying for 400000 on the Hamilton Mountain. Gosh, we would all love to be able to buy those. 400000 on the Hamilton Mountain. So my partner's got $80,000 invested there. Plus, we've asked them for another $100,000 for the renovation. So they're into it for 180 and we get a value of 600 as the ARV. So again, same math. 
What was your original mortgage? 320. What's your ARV mortgage? 80% of 600 is 480. So you go from 320 to 480. That's $160,000. So upon a first refinance, your partner is going to get back 160,000 towards their original 180. So they're still going to have $20,000 of capital left invested in this asset. We now control a $600,000 asset, of which we're going to hold for the next five years. And at the end of five years, let's say we chose to sell it. And it's now worth 700 when we sell it or five, 650 or whatever the heck the market is going to say that it's going to be worth. Upon a sale, the first 20000 is theirs because that's their original owing capital back. Then we split the difference over and above. That's probably Beautiful. too much math just for... Uh... No, 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 no. That was good. Because I'm not great at math, especially on the fly, and that I could follow that. That was good. I think the majority of the listeners will be okay. So if you're a joint venture working expert, you want to be a Mandy, I want you to know those numbers inside and out. 80% loan yep. to value of the purchase price, 80% loan to value of the after repair value. I want you to be able to say, this is rough, the renovation cost. And you go, well, Mandy, maybe they're going to be 110. Well, maybe they're going to be 85. Hey, whatever. I just want you, when you show up to that table, to be able to say to a partner that have some confidence in the numbers that you're able to pitch to them and share with them and back and forth. Right. Absolutely. Now, you'd mentioned that you would look at the partnership every five years. Is that typical term for you and your partners? We follow the term of the mortgage that we've chosen to be able to get. So I think one of my partners, we did a two-year, and that was very strategic for the fact that we felt somebody would be retiring in three, and so we wanted to make sure we could do a refinance in two. Other times, it's like, no, like we... We're just about to retire. We want to be able to get a long enough mortgage. So I think one of my mortgages actually has an eight-year term. And yeah, so but typically we follow the term of the mortgage. And that way, you know what, if it comes five years, we come to that point and we say, hey, what's going on in your life? Are your kids going off to university you want to sell? Are you ready for retirement? Am I still happy doing what I'm doing? And we have this human conversation that says, yeah, you know what? This is one of the best assets. I actually said this to a partner the other day. I was like, if I were to take my top 10 properties, yours is about a seven. Like, I love this property. I think it's in a great location. It's got lots of good factors to it. The tenants are who we want to have in there. But I'm telling you, it's top 10 of my properties. And she just was like, that's awesome. You answered my question. We're going to continue owning this asset. And so we just renewed for another five years and away we go. I mean, we pulled out the money that we could, paid her 100% of her capital back. So now, you know, now we have this infinity property that's not costing anybody right. anything to own it. And Beautiful. yeah, away we go. Owning properties for free, that's not too shabby. We've shady. got about 15 infinity properties in our portfolio. I like the term too. And Mandy, what type of people, like what's the demographic of the people you're typically joint venturing with? Great question. Great question on both sides. <laughs> so I have a joint venture financial avatar that I've created that I look at often to be able to say these are the types of people that I would love to be able to work with to create the financial goals that they would like. So I like to look for a professional, professional who's been at their job for many years, so it's easy to be able to qualify. They've got quite a bit of equity or cash because, of course, they're quite savvy. They're, you know, 40 to 60 years old. 
they have a family, so they've got some family values. And because they're professionals, they love what they do. They love and they're an expert in their field at doing what they love to do. And so they're like, you know what, Mandy, you're an expert in your field. I'm an expert in my field. And so I want to be able to hire the best in my field. And so I'd like to joint venture with you to be able to utilize your expertise with my financials. And again, people who are like, you know, calm with their money. I say calm. I mean, everybody wants to make sure that it's, you know, growing faster than inflation. But there's a lot of people in a certain wealth level that just say, here we go. This is my first F-bomb. But they say, Mandy, just don't lose my fucking money. (laughs) And so they're not looking for the like, oh, 30% ROI. Oh, you know, 20% on a secure promissory note. They're like, those are like gamblers if there's not a strategy that goes behind it. Like a 17% on a promissory note because you want to be the bank, that's almost gambling. Trust me, I'm so happy to be able to borrow that money, but I'm, I sleep at night knowing that that person isn't gambling on me because I have a plan. But there are other people that don't have a plan and are borrowing at 17, 18, 20%, whatever that is. And so I'm looking for somebody who's not looking for the best, highest return, but they see the vision in this asset. And so I almost have two pro formas to be able to share with joint venture working or financial partners. The like, here's how the property presents itself today. And here's my vision for where the property is going. I don't want to tell you I'm speculating, but I want you to feel what I feel about the area, about this house, this demographic, this city, this, you know, tenant profile, the ability for what we're going to be able to do with this asset down the road. And so my ideal joint venture partner is somebody who is able to feel my vision. They trust me. You know, we kind of have a saying that, what do you do a $50,000 handshake deal? And I look for people who I don't want their last 100000 because I don't want phone calls all the time saying, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? And so I look for a certain wealth level of my joint venture partners, the stability of the joint venture partners to be able to say, if this one asset does or doesn't do well, they're not going to lose their entire shirt or their entire retirement. And you know what? Just last Saturday, we had a beautiful couple. They're both accountants in the Whitby area. And they came up, uh, they have four properties with me. And we had a beautiful dinner and did a Mandy Midland tour, showed them all their assets. I think they've stepped foot in two of them. They, They have, they've been some empty units when they've come up. But other than that, they said, like, Mandy, these are some of the best investments we've ever made. And so it's somebody who who understands the value of working with somebody and sees the passion in the working partner. Yeah, so that's what I look for in a joint venture working partner, in a joint venture financial partner. That's awesome. It's very heartwarming, especially when you hear that from, from people you're working with. You know, another JV financial partner. So I definitely ask, you know, why, why real estate? What is this going to do for you? Why do you want this? so that I can buy into their vision too, right? And this one gentleman has an autistic child and he doesn't believe that his child's really going to be able to function with a regular job in society. And he said, this asset is for my son's retirement. Both my heart was just like, I went on this mission to be able to find an asset that was going to be around for the next 30 years because my purpose of finding this asset was now for a greater purpose than neither my partner or myself. So there was, there created this legacy and away we went like to the point that my accountant said, 
So your best performing asset is this one. And I said, that one has one of the biggest reasons why. That's why it's performing so well. And away we went. That's awesome. He did come up to see it this year. We've owned the asset. It'll be two years in February. And we actually had a vacancy and he had a, a hole in his schedule and was able to come up and see it. So again, that is two years before somebody has come to see their property because it's a trust factor to be able to say he communicated his vision to me. I found an asset that matched that vision. And then there's just this synergy. Right. That makes sense. Now, I'm assuming at the start of your path as the JV queen, you were having to go out and find these people. Now, I'm assuming it's a little bit easier for people to find you to JV with. But how would you suggest somebody starting out wanting to JV? Where do they find these people that you are now finding on a regular basis? Yep. So I kind of have a readiness to buy scale. If you can see it as like a 180 degree protractor there and, you know, straight on the bottom, 0%, like you're talking to what I would classify my dad. My dad's like, nope, I don't, nope, I don't want to refinance my house. Nope, I don't want another house. Nope, 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 okay? So he's zero. So don't spend much time there to be able to try and convince somebody that is not into it. Then you've got somebody else who's about 25% ready to buy. And they're like, well, my uncle had one. And my uncle, you know, lived down in California for six months, but... I don't know. He was always complaining about tenants and whatnot. So they're aware of real estate investing, but there's something that's kind of holding them back. Okay. They're just not there yet. And you can kind of coddle those people. They might be coworkers. They might be family. Okay. Now we're straight up and down here. We're 50% ready to buy. Okay. Who are the 50% ready to buy people? They're the people at the real estate investing group. When the organizers say, how many new members are here for the first time? And half of the room puts up their hand. Those are the 50 percenters. They've now thought about it and are actually taking action, which is even if it's just being in a real estate room. Okay. So I like to spend 80% of my time on people who are 50% ready to buy. Actually, I would even put it more at like the 75% ready to buy. And only 20% of my time with the people who don't get it yet, okay? And so who's somebody that's 75% ready to buy? They're somebody who sees you at these networking groups for the last six months and says, oh my gosh, you've been just killing it. And I've been here thinking I can do this on my own. And I know I want an asset and I've gone and looked at assets and I'm listening to the podcast like this one and I'm reading the book and I'm watching videos, but I'm just, there's something in me that just won't pull the trigger. So they say, I'm just going to partner with you and you take me through the first process. Let me feel with a partner what it's going to be like and we can work together. So that's somebody who's like 75% ready to buy. And then there seriously are the people who are 100% ready to buy. They're like, oh, I've already got pre-qualified. I've been thinking about real estate for the last year. You know, I just got downsized at work and before I lose my job and I've got these qualifications, I just need to buy it, but I don't have time and I just want to partner with an expert. Boom. I know people come up to you and, oh, I'm pre-qualified for this much. Are you vetting them yourself in your own kind of way to make sure that they're not just tire kickers? Uh, I will ask to see something just to be able to say, you know, either they can or they can't. 
I connect them with my mortgage specialist. So again, once they come in, the order of operations would be they fill out a joint venture questionnaire that I have, then they flip over to a quick discovery call with me for me to be able to feel if this is somebody that's going to understand the process. And then we sign a letter of intent. And then we move on to the connection with the power team to say, okay, we're going to need, I'm going to need your lawyer information. We need to get the joint venture agreement going. We need to get you to the mortgage broker, make sure that you match. And then once they've kind of gone through the, you know, further pre-qualification, then we will match them to an asset that meets their needs. Okay. So once you've put them kind of through all the hoops, that's your way of verifying that they're ready to play ball. Yep. Yep. And then there's other people, you know, just to share with you, I have a lawyer in Toronto and not one part of me asked me if he could qualify because in my head, when I went to see him in his Toronto office, I was like, yep, he qualifies. And so they do their own pre-qualifying as well. Mm -hmm. Again, you can kind of tell, you know, I had a, a super nice gentleman from BC and he called and he said, well, we'd really like to invest $50,000. And I was like, well, that really doesn't cut it in an investment here in Ontario, unless you want me to go to, you know, a Northern city and, you know, there's market reasons why I would or wouldn't go up that way. And so it didn't fit. So not anything about him because I think he would have qualified, but he just wasn't grasping the amount of money that was required to be able to buy an asset in today's, in today's market. So right. he kind of pre-qualified himself or ex-qualified himself, disqualified himself <laughs> because of the amount of money that he had to invest. There are a lot of people who are talkers. So where are they finding them? I like to find people who are already awakened to real estate investing. Maybe they have a couple and you're, you're offering them a couple more. Maybe they like those couple, but they're like, oh, well, we can't take on anymore. And you go, well, actually... I have a couple of phenomenal deals that I'd love to be able to have a partner on. And if you want more and you understand the value of real estate, why don't you just come in and qualify for these ones and and do this? And I'll take all the time factor out of it. Here's what I also really want to share with people. There's sometimes that they try and they find mediocre deals, mediocre. And think of a joint venture's money as your money that if you had 150,000 and oh my god you you'd invest that 150 because you could get back 120 of it oh my gosh like you're just like you're bursting at the seams to be able to say this is such a great deal that's when the joint venture will feel your vibrations to be able to say hey if it's such a good deal I'd like in on it and so you can sell it based on your enthusiasm for the asset where people kind of go wrong is they're like, well, I have this mediocre deal and, you know, I'm, I'm needing 150,000, you know, so we'll even go back to the Hamilton mountain, right? Well, prices have gone up. So the price of this property is now 500,000 and, you know, it's still roughly the same renovation. And so I'm going to need a hundred thousand dollars plus the hundred thousand dollars. And when we refinance, we're really only going to go up to 600,000. And so you're actually going to be leaving 120 out of that 200 in the deal. That's not something that I'd be putting my own money in. I'd be like, Whoa, that's a lot of money. I'd be leaving in an asset that I can't go and do another one. I can't repeat that that model because I'm leaving a big chunk of capital in there. So then maybe it's not a great deal to be able to bring to a JV partner. I've got a lot of people that I know of that they'll do the single family conversion. They'll take the big lift and then they go, 
And I've tried this myself. So, I mean, I only share what I've tried. So I did the big lift. And now I'm saying to somebody, hey, do you want to buy in on this duplex on the Hamilton Mountain for 600000 Now, it's a beautiful asset, but there's no more lift because I've already done it and I've already received the profits from it. And so here I am trying to sell it to somebody and I need $120,000. It's about, you know, if I, I think I would say maybe it was four or $500, we'll say $500 cash flow a month. So I'm like, so on your $120,000, you're going to be getting about $250 a month. Like this is not like run down the road, feel you're getting the smoke in our deal. So unless right, you've got yeah. a specific partner in mind that's got, you know, significant capital that would just and they'll utilize the small mortgage qualifications on a deal like that to leave 120 grand invested for the next five years don't try and bring a partner in at the end there's got to be a little bit of something left in the game for them and so that's why i find that bringing them in from the beginning to the end for them to get that major lift they're like wow okay now i understand what you have to explain to your partners really clearly is that we are buying a good deal. 400000 on the Hamilton Mountain is a great deal right now, but I am going to need another $100,000 for renovations. And so you've got to be able to show them that they're investing 180000 but it's only for a short period of time. And you've got to be able to show them that you're not speculating on the after repair value, that you're conservative, that they'll for sure be able to get that without guaranteeing it, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't want to over-promise, but you also don't want it to be so pessimistic that you're like, well, maybe we'll get 550. And you're like, no, you won't. You'll obviously get more than 550 on a single-family conversion in on the Hamilton Mountain. So those are the things a lot. Okay. To share. Awesome. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's a lot to share. Now, we've all heard of an elevator pitch, right? Yeah. How would you do that in your 60-second ride up to the... 10th floor and go. Hey, you seem to be in a rush. Have you always been on a rush? Are you, you know, what are you doing in this building? And they say, oh my gosh, like I'm working 40 hours a week plus overtime and a second job and a this and a that. And I said, you know, so I'm not sure if you've ever thought about real estate. Oh my God, I don't have time to be able to add that to my plate right now. And I said, well, actually, so I'm a joint venture working expert within the real estate industry. What I do is I find the deals, I negotiate these smoking ask deals. I take the time factor out of my deals for my partners. What I'm looking for is somebody such as yourself who's overworked but has the beautiful qualifications for a mortgage and you understand the value of a long-term wealth play game. I'm offering you a deal right now. I need about $200,000 to be able to enter into this deal. But the beauty of it is in the next six to nine months, we'll be able to refinance it based on the strategies that I have through my power team that I've accumulated and put together. You'll be able to get back about 120 to 140,000 of that money in the six to nine months. We actually could build a portfolio of about three properties in 18 months with that amount of money. I'm not sure if that's something you like to do passively, but I'm always open to a conversation further about real estate. Wow, that's pretty good. Slightly over time, but I'm not going to throw you under the bus. That was good. You've reached the 10th floor and now you have 200 grand in your pocket. Well done. Yeah. Thank you for putting me on the spot because I always like making sure I'm I'm learning. You know, you're sharp. I, you're staying sharp. Yeah. So there's one thing to be able to like enter onto that elevator, and you just like verbal diarrhea yourself of real estate onto somebody. And the other side of it is, you know, I would ask them more questions. I would potentially hope that at the end of the elevator ride, 
I've asked them so many questions that they like feel that somebody is actually caring about and paying attention to somebody and recognizing them that at the end they would say, oh my gosh, I haven't even asked you what you do. Okay. To the point that I would say, oh, you know, I help people passively invest in real estate because I know that, you know, people like yourself who love your family very much want to leave a legacy, but have no time. So if you're, you know, interested, if you want me to help you build a legacy for your children and your great grandchildren, that's where I get involved. You can reach out to me anytime. And really just, but if that's what it is that they've discussed with me after me asking them all those questions up to the 10th floor. So I actually, you know how some things you hear and they just stick with you. There's a gentleman in me said, I used to walk into a room and I wanted to be the interesting one. I wanted to be, I wanted to be interesting. And his mentor said to him, I'm going to change that word just slightly. I'm just going to change the ending. And I want you to enter the room. And instead of being interesting, I want you to be interested. I want you to be interested in everybody in that room. And I actually want you to have 80% of the conversation about other people. I want you to learn about these people. I want you to be interested in who they are. That's what's going to attract the capital. It's not you walking into the room going, oh, my God, do you want to hear about my latest deal? Do you want to hear about this? No, they don't. You haven't even asked them if they want to hear about your latest deal. They're not even interested in your deal. They might not even be interested in real estate. On your readiness to buy scale, they're nowhere near where you are. Now, after you are interested in them and you find out that they don't have a pension, they'd love to go to Disney, but they don't have the ability or how, whatever it kind of looks like. There are people that are like, you know, I have cash in a bank account and I really don't know what to do with it. Like that problem actually exists. It really does. And like Uncle G says, cash is trash. So they are actually losing money by having money in a bank account. But you're not going to know that because you go in there being the interesting one. But if you go in there being interested, you will find out this information about those people. So go into a room and not talk about yourself. It's actually a pretty high challenge that I would put out there to people who are wanting to better themselves. I'm telling you, do not talk about yourself. Only ask questions about other people. And if they turn the conversation on you, I'm, I'm happy for you to be able to, you know, share stories of yourself and then quickly turn it around to ask them more questions. And in my mentorship group that I have, just some beautiful people that I'm building portfolios with we put that challenge out to them about two weeks ago and it is harder than you think to not talk about yourself it will attract more financial partners than not does everybody get that yeah andy branham has issued you a challenge challenge stop talking about yourself nobody wants to hear about you well they do want to hear about you but they want to hear about you after you've made them care that you care about them you know i will have a conversation with somebody actually i I had a conversation yesterday with somebody. I scrolled back into my emails to realize that we've been chatting for years, two years, 2017, we've been chatting. And when she called, I was just like, so tell me about that deal. And, you know, you, I remember you guys had some money out in private lending. And, you know, I'm thinking, you're like, Mandy, you've talked to so many people. Yeah, but you know what? I try to, not everybody, trust me, I, I have those moments that I'm like, I have no idea who that person was, okay? But these people I had dinner with, but two years ago and I said I remember you guys being so happy your wedding was on TV and they had their whole wedding tape I swear to God that was the moment that they realized I cared about them so as many joint venture partners as I might have in conversations 
and connections that I have, you need to make people feel like you are connected to them, that an asset that you're going to bring to them meets their needs. You hear this? Meets their needs, not your needs. If you need cash flow and you perceive that everybody needs cash flow, you're missing half of the pie here because not everybody needs cash flow. Trust me, a lawyer making $400,000 a year is like, oh, Mandy, you're going to give me half of your cash flow and I'm just going to get taxed at 50%. Like the last thing I need is cash flow. And you go, huh? You know, here's this busy person who's just like, oh my God, I need cash flow. I need cash flow. How do I cover my, my wages so I can retire and be a full-time real estate investor? You've just made that problem about you and not your financial partner. So you need to make sure right. that you are solving their problem, not yours. That's great information. I hope everybody's listening. <laughs> I feel like I would be sitting in front of everybody going, are you hearing me right now? Shaking my little finger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I only teach Brian what I've done for myself. And, you know, these are yep. the learning lessons that I've had along the way. This is the mental games that I play with myself along the way. This, these are the books, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Think and grow rich. The alchemist. Yep. Like, these are just hardcore personal development books that get you out of the grind mindset or the everyday mindset, you know, the masses mindset and get you thinking the opposite direction. I agree. So Mandy, we do something on the on the Real Estate Investors Lounge called the fire round. It's a it can be grueling. Some people have been wounded, but uh everybody survived. <laughs> I don't know if you're up for it. How do you feel about Go that? Go for it. It's kind of like a fire round, okay? I think I can handle it. All right. Okay. The fire round. Mandy, where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? 12 months. So I am going to be into eight new cities with eight new people on my team. So I'm looking to be able to create a community of joint venture experts that all follow the same systems. So that'll be eight new cities, possibly two new provinces in the next 12 months. And I'll be speaking and sharing about my story on some sort of international stage. That's incredible. <laughs> uh, where do you, where do you see the market in 12 months? Locally, I guess, in that yeah. sense. I believe that we have a duty as rental housing providers to continue to create rental housing, a clean, safe and appropriate rental housing. I would tell you that the next 12 months are pretty much going to be like the same last 12 months that if you create a unit that meets a need in a community, it's going to be filled. So I'm not going to say, I'm not going to speculate on where property values are going to be, but the whole point of us being rental housing providers is the fact that there's going to, there's absolutely going to continue to be a major need for housing. Okay. Mandy, who do you learn from? I study under a John D. Martini. I have uh, an executive business coach who also studies under him uh, on Annette Pose with Level 8 Leadership. I have an online company or an online guy doing my marketing, Alexander Ford, who has a company called Measurable Genius. And I'm going to, and I've been studying with him for the last six months. And then I would just say, you know, my husband and my mentorship group, we really have just been growing and learning and teaching together. That's wild. Good for you. Mm -hmm. Would you rather read a book or listen to a podcast? Is there anything in particular? Mm. Both serve a purpose for me. 
my audio, my podcasts in my car are essential. And I like that I can, you know, put them on two times the speed and listen to them. Maybe somebody can't two times me because I talk really fast anyway. But <laughs> I definitely, you know, one and a half to two times podcast and just, you know, I'll cram a 45 minute trip to Barry and just feel invigorated. And a book for me, you know, right now I'm reading Raw's Savage, Just Keep Rowing. She sailed, she rowed across three major oceans. And I love reading that before I go to bed just to feel like, you know, whether hers is rowing across an ocean or the, you know, the same feeling for me, just keep swimming, just keep rowing. And the next day will be another day. Cool. I'll have to check that one out. Mandy, if you could do one thing differently in the last year, what would that have been? Mm, not have been so scared. <laughs> and I know there are people that would laugh at that right now, but I really had a lot of fear and I actually, I let that fear allow other people to influence me far enough off of my, my center of guidance that I was on, I was really uncomfortable being there. So I was influenced by somebody and it just kind of took me on a path that I'd never been on before. And I was really fearful. And in that fear, I just kind of shut down and kind of just, you know, went into the fetal position for a little bit and closed up my business and stopped buying properties. And until I kind of started to realize that I'm a big girl, I put my big girl panties on and was like, I made the damn decision. Somebody might have influenced me, but I was the one that signed on the dotted line and there was no guns to my head. So over the last year, I would just, I would say, what would I do again? I would stay true to my internal compass and yes, kind of lean into the fear a little bit more without it debilitating me. It seems like you, you worked your way through that, no problem. <laughs> so good job. What is a valuable piece of information that you take with you that you would share with other investors? Yeah, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. You know, just the, you know, the miracle morning, the 5 a.m., the books, the meditations, the time off. You know, I fasted for 48 hours a couple weekends ago, listening to your body to be able to say, oh, oh, I need to go to bed early and I need to sleep in today because, you know, we don't want to show up to financial freedom with a body that's collapsed. We don't want to show up to financial freedom with a family that's non-existent. So really just making sure that you're continuing to work on yourself in all areas of your life. It's really funny. And maybe you know this, you've noticed this as well, that over the last couple of years, how people are focusing more on their health and their self-preservation and rather than, you know, reading a book or listening to a podcast, it, it, it seems to be starting more with the person themselves. Do you find that? I would honestly say that it would be the person that's listening to the podcast as they go for a run. I would say that yeah. it's, you know, the person that is doing a meditation in the morning after they've gone for a run or as they're waiting for the coffee to brew or have with a green smoothie in their hands. Like I think it's, it's just an awakening of, uh, well, Tony Robbins does like a wheel of life. If you ever go to UPW, unleash the power within. And, you know, this wheel of life is like your family, your vocation, your health, your mental state, whatever is around this wheel. And a wheel can't go around if, you know, family's at a low and your body is at a high, you know, it's this whole balance. But I mean, balance is, is also a little bit of a misperception anyways, because who really has fucking balance in their life? 
So it's just a matter of if you can go to bed at night and you're like, wow, I'm grateful for that day. And you can wake up looking forward to the day and just be like, I'm, I'm grateful for what this day brings and I'm going to add value to people. Then you're fulfilled. You're filled from within. That's funny. You, you pretty much recited my morning this morning. Aww. I was up at five. I had a green smoothie and I had a coffee. The problem was I was up at five because my three-year-old's sick. I had this green smoothie because I knew otherwise this day is going to go to shit. And then I needed that coffee. <laughs> so we'll call that balance. Yeah, it's balance, right? But you say shit and other people, like, so you remove the fact that you were up with your daughter at three because she wasn't feeling well, you know, and I say, wow, you're an awesome dad to be able to have the ability to transform your schedule to accommodate that. And you know what? So Brian, tonight's not going to be a party night. Tonight's going to be a snuggle in front of the fire with a bowl of popcorn and a, and a kid's movie on, and you're going to be in bed by 8.30. But it's, it's the other side of things that people don't really always hear. They hear the, they, they hear the go, 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 rah, 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 up at 4 o'clock and go, 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 you know, but then they also have to acknowledge that, yep, there's nights that I crash, my girlfriend's pissed because I'm always in bed at 7 o'clock or whatever the heck the story is, right? <laughs> there's always a balance. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I accept your challenge of couch time and popcorn. So yeah. thank you, Mandy. You've planned out my evening and I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, then I think it's, awesome. uh, it would be bookends to a beautiful day. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's it, Mandy. You made it out. You made it out of the fire round and you, you can live to tell about it. Woo-woo! So good job. <laughs> so those were some really great answers. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a, a busy young lady. and um, yeah, there's a lot of great information on JVs in, in this episode, and I'm excited about it. I appreciate you just called me a young lady. Um. <laughs> Aren't you? Aren't you? 42. 42 and counting. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, I'll go, I'll, I'm 38, so we'll, let's say we're young. Let's just say we're young. Uh, I'll tell you that, you know, if, if we do look forward to, uh, you know, what's the next 12 months, but only because we're starting a new decade here, 2020, you know, the year of the visionary I'm going to be looking forward to the next 10 years to see, you know, just to have a little bit of a placement. They say we under, we underestimate what we can do in 10 years and we overestimate what we can do in 12. So, you know, there I am giving you some audacious 12 month goals, but you know, maybe I'm overestimating those and that's going to be three to five years. But the point is that I've, I'm big enough to be able to say those goals and not be disappointed if I don't meet them. Just kind of know that they're going to roll over to the next 12 months and the next 12 months. And in 10 years, then, yeah, we'll have hit quite a few goals that I don't even know I have right now. <laughs> okay. We will check back in 10 years, if not possibly sooner. <laughs> awesome. Most I'd likely like sooner. Thank All you right. so much, Brian. No problem. Thanks, Mandy. Take care and have a great day. Bye-bye. From the Real Estate Investors Lounge, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.ca for more episodes and information.